this morning. We invite you uh, to stand with us in worship.
Well, good morning. Praise the Lord. Joe Biden said we could go outside. <laughs> so I'm so glad you're in church today. No, just being funny. Yeah. Got to say something. We've been told, right? Glad you're here today. It's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. A special day for our graduates, who the word literally means to take a step. And so they're taking one step to another. And praise the Lord for God watching over them. And we look forward to uh, the preaching of the word today, addressing our graduates as well as all of us. And so uh, Dave and Cammy, they're beach bums right now. They're down on the coast. Appreciate Daniel and Alyssa and the ladies helping us out today and leading us. Aren't you thankful that the Lord God, who was rich in mercy and great in love, would make us alive together with Christ? For by grace we have been saved. Praise God for that. There is a uh, visitor card or a connection card in front of you. You can put a prayer request on it. We'll make sure that we keep it among our staff only and pray about it. And if you are a first-time visitor, please take time to fill that out and drop it in the, well, put it in the offering plate as you leave, and that will be a blessing to us. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your love for us. Uh, Lord, you did call us out of that grave and made us alive spiritually. And one day, if our bodies are in the grave, when you condescend from heaven, uh, come to the clouds to take your church and your people home, Lord, our bodies will come out of the grave. And we are so thankful for the blessing of salvation, of knowing you personally. Father, may you speak to us through your word. You tell us in scripture to delight in the word. Lord, there's nothing greater for believers than to delight in the word. Help us today as we listen uh, to the reading of the word, ex expounding upon it, and may we bring you glory by the songs we sing, by the words that are spoken, and thank you for inviting us before you as an audience to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Acts 2.24 says, But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Let's sing that verse again with confidence as believers that we have that same victory over death. In the morning that sealed the promise your very body began to Good to be here with you this morning. We are here to celebrate and recognize um, some, 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 some folks down here in the front. And um, these are our graduating class of 2021. Um, different high schools represented. Um, some are homeschooled. We have Kickapoo and Ozark represented here today and our graduates. And we just want to take a time and what we're going to do is just recognize them. We're going to call them forward. You're going to see some baby pictures. You can ooh and ah. Um, that would be totally fine. But um, at the end, what, what I want to do is before they go out and step out of here, some of them, have, most of them have already graduated. Another one graduates on Friday. But I want, as a church, to pray for them. I want to pray for them. And when, usually when we pray, sometimes we think it's just the guy up front or the gal up front praying. But we want to do this collectively. Every time we pray in church, it's all of us together. And I just want to encourage you, I'm just briefly, I gave them a challenge this morning over breakfast. Paul told Timothy, a young Christian in a pagan place, guard the deposit that has been given unto you. And as we sing about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the great mercy that he's given to us, 
and the salvation and the good news of the gospel. Hold on to it. Guard it. Don't let Satan take it away or anyone else follow the Lord. That's my, that's my prayer for you and my challenge and for all of us. So right now we're going to start by recognizing our seniors. We're going to throw a baby picture up on the screen. Aw, ooh, and who is that? The none other than Chloe Garrison. Chloe, why don't you come up? We do have gifts for you. Craig, could you help me hold these Bibles and pass them out? All right, come on, Chloe. I'll shake your hand. All right. And we are going to give you a, we have got an, a gift of a Bible for each one of these students. God's Word. It's important. Don't leave it. And so they've got a little Bible there. And so our next graduate is baby picture. Oh, wonder who that could be. Mr. Baller himself, Isaac. Please come forward. Yes, sir. There you go. Thank you, man. Good having you. All right. The next one. Oh, who is that? Who could that be other than Kenzie McAllister? Come on. Congratulations. Appreciate it. There you go. Next baby. Aw. Ooh. Hallie McNaught. Come on, Hallie. Great having you. She wants a pink one. Yes. Thank you. And last but not least. Aw. Oh, you know what? Casey Parker. Uh, yeah. Casey, I did. Casey Parker graduated. She was homeschooled. She is not here. She actually had a torn labrum. Um, and she was in the hospital getting that repaired on Friday in Kansas City. So she's not here today, but we wanted to recognize her anyway. So praise the Lord for Casey. Pray for her recovery. And then, sorry, now, last but not least, Ella Scott. Ella, come on forward. There you go. Thank you very much. We're just going to ask that you bow your head and just, oh, and before we go into prayer, I know that there are other people who have graduated from college or upper um, level of degrees, um, higher education. Um, if you are here and you're gradu you've graduated from higher education, if you want to stand, we'd like to recognize you as well. All right. All right. Praise the Lord for your hard effort, and we're going to pray for you as well. So. Let's just take a time and just pray over these folks and just ask God's blessing upon them. Our Father in heaven, we come to you today, and we just pray blessings upon these students. I pray that you would take away the fear of moving forward in the next stage of life. Lord, I know many of them are excited to move on. I pray that you would deliver them from temptation and keep them from evil. I pray that they would have the effort and you would Spur them by your Holy Spirit that indwells them to keep, to guard the faith that over the last 12 years we've put into them. And I pray that as they go out, they find good church homes, that they would grow in the faith and be shining lights in the darkness. I pray for their futures. I pray that you would be with them, and, and, and Lord, may each step of the way, may they know that you're there. We're talking about Joseph in our Sunday school, and I just pray that they would, like him in every phase of life, give, him, give you glory, that they would trust in you no matter what the circumstances are. And I just pray that they would guard and keep that which has been committed to them. I pray that you would keep them from turning and swerving from the faith, and we pray that they would glorify you whatever their hand finds to do. 
that they would glorify you and people would come to you through them. We ask these things in the hope and the power of the Holy Spirit and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys very much. God bless you. Many of us have uh, had an opportunity to teach or do Bible studies and uh, just participate in, in, in the lives of our graduating seniors, and it is tr it's truly a blessing. Um, and, you know, the message that, that we want to share is that our value uh, doesn't come from what this world tells, it, tells us. Um, this world will tell us that we um, need this or this uh, to find value. Uh, but, our, but our value comes from who God says we are. And so this, that's what this next song is about. It's called, Who You Say I Am. There's a place for me 
And let's look together in Psalm chapter 1. I think back on uh, graduating from high school, I was 17. And I was just thinking on the front row that I started in youth ministry at 17. I was a youth pastor. Can you believe that? Could you ever think that you could have a 17-year-old leading a youth group and you trusting your kids to that guy? Well, I'm not sure that was a good idea, but... From 17 to 27 in youth ministry, and then at 27 began to pastor. So it's been 23 years this June of preaching the Word of God. And so as your pastor, I believe that God's call upon my life is to fuel your love for Jesus and to fuel your love for the Word of God and His people. We all need to obey the Lord more. We all need to serve the Lord more. I included... And so my calling is to provide the fuel for more joy, more love, more passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his word. And when you do that, it'll spill out into this community. It'll spill out into this world. So I not only exist to be the husband of Natalie and the father of four children, but I also exist to help you in your progress in the faith. Now, if you're going to love Christ, love his word, and love people like you should... The only way I can encourage you to do that is preach the Bible. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. So that's not going to happen unless we delight in the Word. So the Word of God is the fuel to deepen your love for Christ, for love for one another, and the desire to serve one another. I'm not a CEO. I'm not a manager. I'm a preacher of the Word of God. And so, my encouragement to you as graduates, wherever you are, you left here where I can't look at all of you together, not to find you. So my encouragement to you as graduates is to delight in the Word of God. It's my encouragement to our entire church family is to delight in the Word. Listen to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Check that out, church family. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Listen to this, family. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And a summation statement, for the Lord knows 
the way of the righteous, but the wicked, the way of the wicked will perish. Most scholars believe that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 serve as gateways to the entire Psalms. For instance, if you're delighting in the Word of God, what an incredible start. And then you find from the Word of God that your refuge must be in the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. Listen to verse 6. As for me, I will set my King on Zion, my holy hill. Did y'all know that the Old Testament is about Jesus? And here's the king set upon his holy hill. Note verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So let's start off with Psalms thinking this way. I delight myself in the holy word of God, and I take refuge in the holy son of God. And so those gateway Psalms open up the next 148 Psalms, and pretty much all the themes found in the rest of the Psalms are given to us in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. So today, folks, here's the way of the righteous, how they should live before an ungodly world. And here's the salvation that the righteous have in chapter 2 in their chosen king. So when we're thinking about Psalm 1, it is stanzas, strophes, parallelism, but it's a little bit different than the way you would write a poem. So this one has uh, uneven uh, divisions. So you've got verses 1 through 3 that explains the, the, the spiritual state of the righteous. And then in verses 4 and 5, you have the way of the wicked. And in verse 1, you have both ends that you need to remember and think about. One is the way of the ungodly, and one is the way of the righteous. This is the way we're going to go through this today. Jesus said a lot about two ways, did he not? He talked about the two gates, the two roads, but most scholars believe this is the first time in the Word of God where you clearly see the two ways given for us, the way of the ungodly and the way of the righteous. So the question is posed, which are we? So as we enter the sanctuary of the Psalms to worship and petition the Lord, whose side are you on? Is it the way of the righteous or the way of the of the wicked. From God's point of view, there are only two ways and only two ways to live because there's only two kinds of people in this world. Only two kinds. There are the righteous and then there are the wicked. Everyone in the world falls into those two categories. There is no in-between category. The way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly. So, number one, let's rejoice in the spiritual state of the righteous. Did you see that in verse 1? How does it start off? Blessed. In the Hebrew, this is plural. Why is it plural? It's, all, it's almost like saying the blessednesses, right? Even though that's not a word. So it's vivid and it, it speaks of the satisfaction and the joy that is rooted in the fellowship when someone knows Christ. When you're saved, this is the fellowship that you have. It's the satisfaction. And we often use the phrase, God cares more about our holiness than our happiness. You ever heard that statement before? That is actually true, that God is more concerned about your spiritual growth and conformity to Him. However, I would like to say it this way. God wants you to be supremely happy in Jesus, 
by being holy. Amen? That's what the Bible actually teaches. So blessedness is a condition. And it is a constant, continual state of joy and satisfaction. Look, it's not contingent upon your circumstances. It is rooted in your relationship with the living God. Don't you want to be categorized as blessed? That's who you are if you're in Christ. And that plural form of the joys and blessedness indicates an actual fullness and happiness of a righteous man. So at this point, let let me remind you, biblically, that there's only been one truly righteous man. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is, in essence, the fulfillment of Psalm 1. But there are some scholars who would teach Psalm 1 that it only refers to Jesus, and they're missing the point of application to us, right? Because in actuality, you get your righteousness from Jesus Christ. He said to the Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. On the outside, the Pharisees had it all looking good with pomp and circumstance. But on the inside, they were whitewashed tombs. So what righteousness did they need? It was the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he does perfectly fulfill all the Psalms. So Psalm 1 is designed for us to extol the man of righteousness, Christ Jesus the Lord. But because of your union with him, you are pronounced righteous. You are blessed in Christ Jesus. It is possible for a person to be truly blessed and have a happy life. Not a Joel Osteen happy life. I'm talking about a spiritually grounded happy life because of the joy that we have in Jesus that's independent of any circumstances that come our way. It's the joy of blessedness. Now look what the text says about this spiritual state. That blessedness begins with the three negative points of contact. See it? KJV Walks not of the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of sinners, sits. That's the ESV as well. You notice there's an intensification to, this, to every clause. You have walking, you have standing, and you have sitting. It is an intensification. We move from thinking to behaving to belonging. These are the three aspects of departing from God. That's not what a righteous person does. Notice, folks, this is pretty clear. The blessedness of the man is that there are some things to begin with, and they're negatives. There are some things that you have to avoid if you're a truly blessed man or woman. So, there's a negative aspect of being blessed. The blessed man is one who doesn't follow the advice of the wicked. Are y'all listening? Who doesn't stand around with sinners, and who doesn't join in with scoffers. Notice the progression. It's walking, standing, sitting. Did you know that departures from God never happen with one step? It doesn't happen overnight. Departures from God start small, and they work their way up from there. This doesn't happen overnight. It happens over a period of time. So, ladies and gentlemen, you have to be careful to watch over your souls. You have to be careful to guard your hearts. Why? Because from the heart flows the issues of life. So we begin to walk. Sounds pretty innocent, doesn't it? Then we begin to stand, and then we begin to sit. Then the person who thought he would never sit in the assembly of those who scoff at the word of God and the Lord actually join in to ridicule God and His word. There's also an intensification with wicked, sinners, and scoffers. 
Wicked references unbelievers outside of the covenant. The sinner is the one who is in conscious rebellion against God. And the scoffer is one now who sits down in the place and is opposed to God and ridicules his truth and ridicules his word. Counsel is the idea of advice. Way is the path of life. And it's the decisions that you make and the warp and woof of your life that ends up being the assembly that you actually belong to. Y'all see how serious that is? That's why the psalmist begins with this. What may seem to be harmless in the advice that you may get ends up being dangerously close in the connection to a desire to destroy the faith that you have in the Lord. The blessed man or woman is the one who, is, who conscientiously avoids these particular three contact points. Folks, refuse their advice. Amen? Refuse to stand in their ways. Refuse to sit in their assembly. This kind of interaction with the negatives. We may say it another way. Accepting advice, adopting attitudes, and full acceptance when you sit down in the assembly. That will lead to moral erosion and perception about what life is really about. In other words, folks, worldly wisdom leads to worldly action, which leads to worldly fellowship. Young people, hear me. You cannot walk in the counsel of the wicked. And maintain, maintain the kind of spiritual moral edge that you need in your life before God. You cannot do it. If you adopt the advice of the wicked, if you stand around with sinners and you join in with the scoffers, you will see your love for Jesus Christ evaporate overnight. It will happen. And let us be clear at this point. Blessings come not only from what we do, but also from what we do not do. Clearly given in the negative here. Blessed people avoid certain things, and they avoid certain people, and they avoid certain situations. They don't hang out just anywhere. They don't quickly adopt and buy into every line of thinking. And they are very careful not to join themselves in the company of people who do not love the Lord. Sin never stands still. It'll take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and always cost you more than you're willing to pay. It doesn't sit still. It comes to control you. And what starts out as casual contact leads to increasing closeness, which leads to permanence of association. Think about it. Walking, standing, sitting. Counsel leads to rebellion, which leads to being straight up in the assembly, ridiculing God and His Word. In other words, there is an increasing boldness of evil, evil that is accompanying lowering your inhibitions to God. When you do that... It happens. It begins to happen. You laugh at jokes that you once thought were crude. You watch things on TV that used to bother you, but they don't, it doesn't bother you anymore. Why? Because you've come accustomed to the darkness. You ever notice how if you sit in the darkness long enough, you'll begin to see a little bit better? Right? Well, we become accustomed to the, doc, to the darkness. The things that used to shock us don't actually shock us anymore. We compromise our values in ways that we never thought possible. We consent to things that we knew would have gotten us in great trouble in the past years. We began to slip. And then the worst thing we do is seek counsel from ungodly people. And then you're in trouble. The blessed condition of the righteous man or woman is rooted and grounded in the fact that he or she says that they will not listen to the counsel of the ungodly. That's not for me. You need to be willing to say that. That way of life, that thinking, that behavior... That assembly is not for me. 
to walk down this path of rebellion puts you in the most unenviable position possible. Why? Because if you are a believer and you're trying to walk down this path and stand with sinners and sit with the scornful, what happens is what you used to say was right on one end, you have to say, you know what, it's still right and I've got to repent. It's an unsavory position to be in because you know what you believed all your life is truth and you're disobeying, walking, standing, sitting, so you have an option here. Am I going to confess that what I am doing is wrong and God's word is right? Or am I going to say that what I believed in the past is not truth, therefore I can live like I want to and that's the way that is right? Now, I've just explained to you what happens to college students. 99% of the time it begins by moral abandonment. It doesn't first begin by intellectual prowess or you just heard something new over there in college and you're going to adopt it hook, line, and sinker. It starts with moral abandonment. And then it puts you in that position where you either have to say what I'm doing is sin and I believe the Word of God and it is right or what I'm doing is right and what I used to believe I don't believe anymore. Why? Because you like it. Amen? We like sin. When we give in to the lust of the flesh, this is what happens in life. So the righteous man says, to be happy, I must first be defined by what I don't do, what I don't listen to, and a particular way that I don't live. Can all God's people say amen? That's the spiritual state of the righteous. It begins with a negative. Advice, acceptance, sitting down with ungodly, that's not the way a righteous person lives those negative points of contact here's another part of the spiritual man that blessedness comes from building your life on the word of God do you see it in verse 2 but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates how often day and night he delights to hear the word of God he doesn't turn it off when you hear the word of God a righteous person accepts the scripture as it is preached. A righteous person is attracted to the word of God. To read it, to apply it, to hear the word of God preached. It means that you pleasure in the law of God. The blessed man is blessed because he finds happiness and joy and delight in the word of God. When's the last time you read through Psalm 119 and just said, Lord, help me. Help me to put this to practice. Listen, don't turn, but just listen. Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm, 11, Psalm 119.25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the paths of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 89 of Psalm 119, forever, O Lord. This one's on my calendar in, in my office. I write it in every month when I turn the page. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. That means the word of God does not change. It is firmly fixed in the heavens. Verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Just think of the Word of God. Psalm, 
Psalm 119. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. We think Job may be the oldest book in the Bible. Job didn't have a Bible, right? And here's what Job says. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Folks, the righteous person will build his life upon the word. Why? Because it's your necessary food. It is essential for life and practice. It is essential for you walking with God. You have to cling to it, crave it. The word of God is the joy to a blessed man. To you, if you're blessed, the word of God is marvelously attractive. You've got to have it. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you observe to do all that is written there, and then you shall make your way prosperous and have good success. That brings up the point of meditation on the word. That's exactly what this psalm says. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. So in other words, you've got to memorize it in order to meditate on it. You're taking delight in the word of God. So if you're not taking delight in the word of God, it's good to put the word of God into your mind by memory, right? So that you take out the mess and the rival things that take away from your allegiance and and if I start telling you what yours are, I might get on mine. There's rival allegiances out there that take us away from the study of the Word. And I promise you, if you delight in the things of the world more than you do the Word of God, it will take preeminence. What you love most is going to come to the surface. What's in the bottom of the well is going to come out in the bucket. Right? It's inevitable. So if you are listening to the advice of the ungodly, then don't expect to delight in God's Word. If you're walking down the path of the wicked, don't expect to have a delight in the Word of God. And if you're sitting in the assembling of the scoffers, don't expect to delight in that which you're mocking God about. The Word of God, right? So because a righteous man delights in the Word, it becomes his meditation day and night. Now folks, look, doesn't mean you go out and join a monastery. And you just find yourself in a closet and never come out. What it means is that the Word of God becomes something that's in you all day, every day. Right? You're meditating on it. Alan Ross, good commentary, commentator on Psalms, says meditation begins with memorization. You have to be able to recall it to mind and think about it. Meditation will then increase your insight and understanding into the Word. Then we give it back to the Lord in prayer. So there is a delight in the Word of God that memorizes it. And then you begin to turn it over and over in your mind. The word meditate means to murmur or, mur or, or mutter. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we read the Word of God out loud. I mean, we read the Word of God most of the time silently. But back in this day, they read it out loud. So when people were quoting Scripture, they often did it out loud by muttering it and, and murmuring it. Why were they doing that? Because to rehearse that in your mind over and over and over gives you insight into the Word of God that you would never have gotten otherwise if you just do a flyover and read the Bible. Am I making sense? When you meditate in it and you delight in it, it is 
infusing your spiritual understanding, and then the call of God upon your life is to give it back to the Lord in prayer. I'm telling you, folks, God loves it when his people pray the word of God. There's no way you can be closer to the mind and heart of God than to pray the scripture. So you need to fill your mind with the word of God. So we get everything else out. You need God's word to shape your thoughts. God's word is necessary input into our lives. Now, folks, there's a lot of good input that comes our way at times. I like Laura on the angle. I like to listen to Sean Hannity, right? I like to listen to Glenn Beck. But I'm telling you, folks, that's, that's good stuff to help you with a worldview. But it's not enough. You, gotta, you have to get your worldview from the word of God. That's where you have to get it from. So look, the Bible is clear on this. You need to feed yourself on the word of God. Now, we have to think God's thoughts after him. You can't do this without filling your mind with the word of God. And if you don't delight in the word, I'm telling you, it will suck your delight out of your enthusiasm for the Lord Jesus Christ. So be careful not to accept worldliness under the guise of Christian liberty. I have this conviction that I'm worried about. There is a growing resistance among even Baptists to quit talking about holiness and stop resisting worldliness. And we just take it hook, line, and sinker. And I'm telling you folks, that's dangerous. Be careful not to accept worldliness under the guise of Christian liberty. Okay? It's profoundly unbiblical to flirt with worldliness under the guise of Christian liberty. If you don't watch out, you're going to be surprised to find out that your desire for the Word of God is going to shrivel up quickly when you play with worldliness. Right? So, there are some points of contact you have to avoid. Walking, standing, sitting. And then you have to build your life upon the Word of God. Thirdly, the blessedness is marked by stability and fruitfulness. Isn't this awesome? In other words, when the drought comes, you're not going to dry up. Oh, Christians dry up so fast. They look for the next book, next study, next how-tos. Why don't we just learn the Word of God and meditate in it day and night and consume more and more of the Word so that we can understand the ways and thoughts of our God instead of buying the next new book? Right? Listen to the Word. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water as long as he reads the next best book on the market. No, when you're meditating on the word of God and it's the light of your heart, then this is your resulting stability and condition. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water, yields forth fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in all he does, it shall prosper. In other words, here's a picture of a fruit bearing tree that's free from destruction of droughts. Why? Most scholars believe the streams of living water is nothing more than the word of God. And when you're in the word of God, you're secure and your fruit bearing. You're anchored into the streams of living water. You're free from destructive powers of drought. Charles Spurgeon said, in this condition, in verse 3, it brings forth patience in the time of suffering. Have we needed that the last year? He said, faith in the day of trial and holy joy in the hour of prosperity. What statements? What a vision of a robust, saturated, word-filled life. This is what we need, folks. Listen, young people, I beg of you to be dissatisfied with mediocrity. I am sick of mediocrity. It drives me up the wall. 
is probably the most difficult thing that I deal with in my own life and in your life. We are prone to mediocrity. Resist it. Resist the normalcy of the way we're, we're perceiving American Christianity because it's not right. It's not Bible. So, look, I urge you to be dissatisfied with anything that even smells of spiritual compromise and laxity. Resist it with all that you have. Make sure the things that you long for in this life are the things that really matter. Like being firmly secure, planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in its season, even when the droughts come. Even when the droughts come. Even when there's difficulty. Long for usefulness in the kingdom of God. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Long for usefulness to God because when it's all said and done, that's all that's going to matter. Really. It's all that's going to matter is your usefulness. Do you want to be a tumbleweed? I thought about a good illustration. You, you watch the tumbleweeds go across the screen on TV? Or do you want to be a planted tree, secure by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in its season? Look, folks, I'm not making this up. It's actually you're worse than a tumbleweed if you're ungodly. Because it doesn't end in annihilationism. It, it ends in judgment and eternal fire and hell. That's how serious this is. And there's no in-between. There's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Stability. Do you want to be a tumbleweed or a tree firmly rooted with a foundation? C.S. Lewis said, God doesn't find our desires too strong. He finds our desires too weak. Boy, don't we struggle at this point? Because our desires so often are easily satisfied in the things of this world. Do we really long to be satisfied in Jesus only and His Word? We simply don't want to be firmly rooted, a firmly rooted tree badly enough. We don't want to bear fruit for God's kingdom badly enough. Here's most of our thoughts. I prayed a prayer. I got baptized. I joined the church. And I come on occasion. And you're happy with that. Folks, don't you think the God of eternity wants more from you than that? When you read this scripture, folks, this is what the normal first, now you can't say first, you have to draw it out, first Baptist churches are made up of. Why do you think years and years ago it got the social tag? Because if you wanted to be the uppers and comers and movers and shakers and friends with all people, then you go join the Baptist church. You might even get voted in for an election. Join the First Baptist Church. Folks, if that's your idea of church, you've missed it. You've missed the boat. If that's your idea of spirituality, you don't have it. Don't you understand that churches are full of unregenerate people who don't know Christ? Why? Because they prayed a prayer. They prayed, they, they had a possession, they had a profession without a possession. They professed something, but it wasn't Christ. Why? Because there's been no tree planted by the rivers of water. You can see it clearly. The chaff's going to blow them away because they're not rooted and they're not in Christ. So, don't let just a prayer you prayed and a church you joined and occasional attendance mark the highest part of your spiritual life. If we are, we're missing it. That's not what's given in Psalm 1. We ought to want a deeper walk with God, a useful walk with God, and a fruitful life in Christ. We should not feel at home with mediocrity. I promise you this, if you soak in the Word of God, you will not be mediocre. No amens? You balcony, help me out up there. Right? 
Yes. All right. That's a lot of sermon. The other, this is going to go fast. So rejoice in the spiritual state of the righteous. Number two, run from the life that displeases God. Folks, what words? Listen, the wicked are not so. What a contrast. Not so what? Not like a tree firmly planted by the rivers of water, but chaff. That's going to be driven away. They're rootless, they're weightless, and they're useless. There's no substance to their lives. The wicked waste their years. People have the idea, well, I'm going to sow my oats now, right? Youth, I'm in the prime of my life. I'll live that for the devil. I'll give God the dregs. Mark her down. People who usually live like that when they're young, live like that till they die. That's normally what happens. Now, I am so thankful that all of us can say that we were the chaff that the wind was driving away, but the sovereign hand of Almighty God picked us up and saved us. And I'm so thankful for that. But when He does, then there's going to be a difference in life. But according to this text, there's no substance in the life of those who are ungodly. For how much substance can there be in a life where the highest goal and priority is to satisfy our sinful desires? According to the Lord... That life is fleeting and it's a vapor. It will not last. The end of the wicked will be like chaff that the wind blows away. Uh, We can all testify that we were the chaff that the wind was driving away until Christ saved us. Here's the lesson here. The wicked are ultimately insubstantial. What does chaff refer to? Well, it refers to a husk or a hull that surrounds a nut or a kernel. And it appears to be very, very strong until you break it open and you pull out the nut and then it becomes light and insubstantial. If you go to a Braves game like I used to often, then when you crack that nut open, you drop the shell on the ground as pulverized under people's feet. It is insubstantial. And that's what God says about a life of someone who is ungodly and the wicked. It is absolutely insubstantial. Learn from this that life without God is useless. Life without God is empty. Life without God is trivial. Life without God is worthless. If a man would live 100 years and yet does not know God, he is like a piece of chaff that the wind drives away, blown away and forgotten. The true character will be revealed on the day of judgment. The Bible says when that time comes, the wicked will not stand. Why? Because they have no roots. There's no relationship. Everything about them is blow and show. Froth and worldly pomp, bluster and brag and ego. But there is nothing lasting in the value of that. So with one breath, the Lord will blow all the wicked into hell. That's what the Bible teaches. Oh, I dare you say that in May of 2021. Well, I have to tell you what the Bible says. Remember the first of the sermon? I'm not called to be a CEO to you or a manager. I'm called to be your pastor and preach you the word. That is the number one call. So meanwhile, the righteous will stand because they are like trees by the stream with deep roots in the word of God. The tree stands and the chaff disappears. Finally, and lastly, remember the end of both ways. Rejoice in the spiritual state of the righteous. Run from the life that displeases God and remember the end of both ways. The verse describes what happens in the end. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Hebrew literally is this. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows the righteous the way a father knows his children. Now, I know a lot of you. But I don't know you nearly like I do my four boys, my three boys and my daughter. As a matter of fact, I know them enough to watch over them, to think about them constantly, and to do whatever I can to help them, right? But I do that in a small way. Our God has all the resources that you could ever imagine. And he knows the way of the righteous. In other words, his resources are your resources if you're in Christ Jesus. He knows the way of the righteous. He knows how to preserve you even in the darkest night of the frowning providence of God that you could ever think or imagine. God knows how to sustain you and preserve you. He knows the way of the righteous. But the wicked and their wicked ways will ultimately come to an end. This is sobering reality for us. In the end, their way will perish. That's what the Bible says. All that they have lived for will disappear in the midst of the morning sun. Mm. The way comes to an end. That's what the scripture says. Destruction. It's like running over the edge of a cliff only to find that you're not annihilated because hell is forever. That's why people like the doctrine of annihilationism because they think, well, when this earth, when this earth is over, I'm just going to die and cease to exist. That's not true, folks. You better listen to the word of God. Your soul will live forever somewhere. Heaven or hell. Think about this for a moment. Casual flirtation with evil doers soon leads to total domination by evil doers. People who serve and seem to be successful in this world, if they don't know God, folks are going to come to a screeching end. No matter if it's LeBron James or Kobe Bryant or Bill Gates or whatever the Zucker, whatever the names are. Facebook, Twitter, whoever it is. You know what? God can save them right now. And I wish the king of heaven would save some of the most rotten people in the world. Just turn them around by grace overnight. Just interview them on TV and all of a sudden something else comes out of them. I'm like, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? God uses stoops to the low. Mm. It's, it's easier for a rich man to squeeze through an eye of the needle. And a rich man to enter heaven. They don't know their need for the Lord. But the Holy Spirit can make sure they do. Right? So we need to pray. We need to pray, pray, pray. But understand the happiest people in the world are those whose lives are built on the word of God. I think I can state this in another forceful manner. The only true happy people in the world are those who follow the prescription of Psalm 1. That's the truth of the matter. Which road are you on? One of my favorite stories in the Bible... Or, or that comes from Scripture that's historically proven, is that, do you remember when Paul had got to the end of his rope? He wanted to get to Spain, wanted to get to Rome, and then all of a sudden he's in chains, and the Scripture ends in Acts, and who is he going to have to go before? Nero. And we know that Nero actually put Paul to death. Now here was uh, the most sadistic, brutal man that you could ever imagine. He actually incarcerated Christians, dipped them in some kind of flammable fuel, and burned them. Made them like light lights at night. That's the kind of person he was. 
When, he, when Paul stood before Nero, we don't have the details. But the Bible, t- uh, history tells us that Paul was bow-legged, ball-headed, nothing fancy whatsoever to look upon at all. And Nero probably didn't even know of Paul at all, except for he, he was a man who was a follower of Christ. And you got to stand before Nero because he's the, he's the Roman Empire. He's the head over all of it. And we know that Nero put Paul to death. But does God watch over the way of the righteous? I want to remind you of something. You name your kids Paul today and you name your dogs Nero. And that's not a mistake. That's not an accident. God looks over the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly will perish. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Help us to delight ourselves in the law of the Lord. Help us to memorize it so we can turn it over into our minds each day. Lord, your word says that we need to bring every thought under captivity to the obedience of Christ. That starts with knowing your word. When we're overstepping, when we're getting connected too much in the negative of counsel and rebellion and sitting in the seat of the assembly of the ungodly. God help us. We're in dark days in our country. Sin is pervasive. There's a moral abandonment in our world. How do we live? As exiles in the land of same-sex marriage, of abortion, of incredible amount of crime and violence. Here's how we live. We delight ourselves in the Word of God. And we are trees that are planted by the rivers of water, that's stable and fruitful, even in dark times. God help us. God help us. Father, would you take this Word, your Word, and Graft it into our hearts. Lord, help us to delight in your word. And I pray that especially for our graduates, Lord. Help them to forcefully stand against mediocrity. Live for Jesus. Father, help them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I encourage you to stand to your feet. We'll have a time of invitation. Perhaps you don't know the Lord. There's no way to be righteous except through the righteous one. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He that knew no sin became sin that the very righteousness of God might be in us. Would you accept the Lord today? Trust Jesus only for salvation. If you're Christians today, somebody you need to pray about, or your own life, maybe we need to hit the altar this morning. That, nobody's going to think you're a miserable, rotten sinner just because you come down front and pray. But you are a miserable, rotten sinner, just like your pastor, right? So get to the altar. Amen. Let's sing. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. And without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness.
where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. sing it one more time. I want to remind you, the lie of the enemy is you can't change. Even among believers, that's the lie lie of the enemy. You're in a spiritual rut, which is nothing but a grave six foot deep with the ends kicked out. And you know what that means in your own life. And the enemy will say to you, you can't change. I'm telling you by the power of the word and the promise of God, God can change you. You need to take the step to believe in the authority of Scripture and what the Bible says. It says you've been given all that pertains to life and godliness. Second Peter chapter 1. If we've been given all that, that's a promise from God's Word. Well, you can tap into that. Amen? You can tap. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. God can change anybody, anytime, anywhere. Right? Believe the Word of God. Some of you struggle with starting Look, open up the Word of God and read it. If you need help, my door of my office is always open. And if it's closed, knock on it, right? If you need help, we'll give you help, but we need to be in the Word of God. You don't have to be a scholar to read the Bible. Go get you an NLT, New Living Translation, and read it from cover to cover, right? With all the tools we have at our disposal, why are we not listening and reading? Amen? All right, let's sing one more verse. Teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay Lord, I There's a lull in the song. This is Eden. And she wanted to tell you that she's trusted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Her mom and dad have been talking with her for a while. And uh, she wants to profess Jesus and identification through baptismal waters. And we'll do that in the future. Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. All right.
All right. Just as you're standing, a reminder that tonight we have Lord's Supper, which is the most important thing we will do. Everything else is secondary. All right. Well, worshiping God, that's big too, right? Through Lord's Supper and singing. But then we're also going to have a vote. And that vote has no discussion. I've discussed out. And all of y'all have. But if you have a question, please contact me uh, in the foyer out there or call me or Don. Uh, first uh, order of contact, hit one of us if you have any questions. And then we'll have a short business meeting tonight just to catch up on the last eight months or so when we haven't been able to have one, okay? So tonight is at 5.30, all right? Uh, special... 6.30. Is it 6.30 tonight? We've been advertising that. Okay, I'll be here at 6.30, y'all. <laughs> oh, it's, it's 6.30 tonight, okay? All right. Everybody got that? I messed that one up somehow. It's usually 5.30, I guess, okay? I guess if we're voting for something that important, we're going to wait and come at 6.30, right? Uh, no, we'll see you here tonight. To God be the glory, all right? Daniel, you want to sing us out? Sure. Yeah, let's sing together. Hallelujah, praise the one who set us free. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free.